Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. This is Josh Wander from Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh. I'm here with my co-host, Rabbi Moshe Lichtman of Beit Shemesh. Yes, hello, hello. Um, it's good to be with you today. Um, I'm a little under the weather. Uh, I, uh, I unfortunately have caught uh, corona for the second time, but uh, thank God this time it's much milder and uh, I wouldn't miss this show. For almost anything. <laughs> well, we're glad you're here and we wish you a refuah um, Israel yeah. Unplugged is where you get the unadulterated facts of where we're holding in the redemptive process, focusing primarily on the ingathering of the exiles. This is a live show. And uh, since the gates of Israel are now officially open to all, anyone who wants to come in, at least for now, is welcome to do so. So I'm sure that everyone is here in Israel. So they should be called the number 0265001151. If you happen to be at the airport in the United States uh, waiting for your flight to come to Israel, then the number is 301-768-4841, 301-768-4841. We do encourage you to call in with all of your comments, questions, suggestions, complaints, whatever you want to talk about. We are here to speak to you about it. Uh, this is a show which is uh, conducted by Rabbi Lichtman, and I, Rabbi Lichtman, has his own website, which is toratzion.com. We encourage you to go there where you will find a list of his books where you can purchase them online and uh, different things that he is involved with. Also, we have our own project that is known as the Bring Them Home Project. So you can uh, go there by going to either israeltorah.org or itstimetoleave.com. Both of those uh, URLs take you to the same website. We also have an extensive video collection on our YouTube channel, which is Israel Torah. And we encourage you to go to that YouTube channel and to sign up, to subscribe, and to press on notifications. That helps us uh, get that information out to you and to everyone else. And uh, we have an exciting show ahead of us. We're going to talk about some current events and some future and past events. And we look forward to speaking to you soon. Stay with us right after the commercials. We're going to be back with you in a minute. did a nice Jewish girl from Delaware end up living in Israel? Shalom! I'm Natalie Sapinski. Join me on my show, Returning Home. Meet different people who have moved to Israel. Hear their personal stories, their highs, their lows, and everything in between. Each week, we talk to experts on immigration and the process of moving to Israel. Listen to Returning Home every Thursday, only on Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. Um, 
You know the uh, the opening line of our of our show is that we tell you the facts on the ground of what's going on in the redemptive process, especially focusing on the ingathering of the exiles. So, you know, as I said before, I, I have Corona right now, so I'm uh, I am quarantined at home and uh, can't go to Minion, can't go to Davin with uh, with a quorum. And uh, therefore, I've been dominating at home, which is, of course, there's a, uh, a negative and a positive. The negative is it's not with a minion. It's not with 10 people. And I can't say Kaddish. You, I can't hear Kaddish. I can't say Kedusha. All the different uh, laws that apply to that. But on the other hand, when you, when you daven, when you pray by yourself, you sometimes have more time to really concentrate on things that when you're in shul, when you're in synagogue, you don't really concentrate on because you're always in such a rush and, uh, you know, you have a limited amount of time to say the words. And one of those prayers that we really unfortunately rush through is the long tachanun, the, the long supplication prayer that is, that is said on Mondays and Thursdays when we read the Torah. So I, you know, I usually try to get through a few paragraphs and uh, before the uh, the leader of the uh, the prayers already is, is at the end. So today I decided I'm going to say it slowly. I'm really going to try to concentrate on what it says. And one line really, really uh, called out to me. And I think it's so important and so relevant to to the purpose of this whole show. So it says here, um, we pray, supplicate to God, Avinu Avarachaman, our Father, God, the, our our merciful Father. Harenu ot letova, show us a good sign. Vikabets nefutsotenu me'arbak kanfota aretz, and gather our exiles from the four corners of the earth. And I thought about that, you know, for. Hundreds of these, I don't know exactly how old this prayer is, but I assume that it's at the very least centuries old. We've been saying it for centuries, maybe even millennia. Um, and we've been praying to God that he should show us a good sign and gather the exiles in. Now, I assume that a thousand years ago and several hundred years ago when they said this prayer, they they didn't really understand what that meant. They 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 probably said to themselves, "What does that mean? A good sign to gather the the exiles? Isn't gathering the exiles the redemption itself? Why are we calling that a good sign? A good sign sounds like, you know, it's a nice it's a nice thing. It's a start. It's a beginning. It's a, it's a it's an indi- indicator that the gula that the redemption is is underway." They probably understood or they hoped that the redemption is going to happen miraculously. And at the snap of a finger, God miraculously is going to bring together all the Jews from exile and he's going to, you know, fly them on the wings of eagles or on magic carpets and bring them to back to the land of Israel and take them away from, you know, their suffering in exile. But we now know that that's not the way it happened. It happened in a very, very natural way, uh, a slow process, a gradual process. And and the, the ingathering of the exiles is really a good sign, meaning 
that it is the beginning of the redemption. It is not the ultimate and final redemption, but it's a good sign. And I really got tremendous uh, chizuk, strength, from reading this line and understanding that we are living in very special times and that this is a good sign and that people who deny this and people who try to say that, no, there's nothing special about what's going on here in the state of Israel. This is not the redemption. It can't possibly be because... Um, you know, the people who started this whole movement were not religious Jews, and there are a lot of problems with the state of Israel, which we might talk about a little bit later on. Um, but this prayer tells us clearly that that itself, the ingathering of the exiles, is an ot litova, is a sign for the good, is God's way of bringing about the beginning of the redemption. And we have to take this sign and go with it and not ignore it and pretend that it's not happening and pretend that there's nothing special about it and just go on with our lives as if nothing has happened in Jewish history in the last 150 years. And I really, really think that we have to, this is our problem. We don't pay attention to our to our prayers. If we t- pay attention to so many of our prayers, this v'hurachum, this long tachanun that we say on Mondays and Thursdays is filled with references to to the ingathering of the exiles, the redemption, the, we pray to God to take us out of Galut and to bring us back to, to the land of Israel. And we really have to start paying attention to our tefillot, to our prayers and, and, and acting upon them, which actually is is really connected. I wasn't just, I wasn't uh, thinking to, to uh, mention this right now, but I, I just have to. It just goes together. You know, the, the, we see this in this week's parsha when the Jews are at the Yam Suf, they're at the, uh, the, the Red Sea and, and they're in trouble. The Egyptians are following them and the sea is in front of them and they don't know what to do. And Moshe starts crying out to God, help us. And God says, Ma titzak elai, why are you calling out to me? Why are you crying to me? Speak to the Jewish people that they should just go forth, meaning sometimes prayer is not enough. We have to understand our prayers and we have to understand what we're supposed to be yearning for. But we also have to understand that sometimes it's time, it's a time for action and not only a time for prayer. We have to move forward. We have to daberel b'nei Israel, speak to the Jewish people and just travel to the land of Israel. So I, I actually spoke at the, the Kiddush last week, and uh, I was speaking about uh, the subject of the Torah portion. Uh, th- these Torah portions deal with this, the whole concept of the Exodus. We're in the book of Exodus, and we're talking about the Jews that, uh, that uh, were left in Egypt. Many of them did not recognize what was going on. Eighty percent of them, according to the Midrash, uh, were, were died out in the, in the plague of, of darkness. Mm-hmm. And we spoke about when this last week, yeah. we spoke about it last week a little yeah. bit, right? So when when I was going through this, uh, the different plagues, I was thinking about how how oblivious so many Jews around the world are of where we are holding in the redemptive process and what their actions, what they should be doing. Exactly what you're saying that they should be doing something and not just sitting back and praying. And I said like this: I said there's a famous theological uh, dilemma when it comes to these parashiyot, these Torah portions. And that is, how is it possible 
that we know from the from the verses that God took away what seems to be taken away uh, Pharaoh's free will. Right? He he hardened his heart. He 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 caused him to. This is the simple reading. He caused him to. Even though it was right in front of his eyes, he caused them to uh, to harden his heart that he would not allow the Jews to uh, to escape to leave, and uh, it seems like a really bad uh, policy decisions that he's making because his country is uh, you know disintegrating all around him, and uh, and he has an opportunity to stop this and to just to let the Jews go to the desert and and do their their uh, prayers and uh, sacrifices and he keeps over and over again making the mistake and it and 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 it seems from the verses that it's because god is hardening his heart that he that he is stopping his free will and there's a question how can you stop someone's free will do we know that the purpose of a person of human beings in this world is to have free will that is what why we have uh, an opportunity to have good and evil we have an opportunity to have, to be rewarded and to be punished because we have this this unique ability as human beings to have free will so how can you take once you take the free will away from someone you have you have essentially taken away their whole purpose of being in the world so what what is, what's going on here so the Sephardo, one of the great commentators says an amazing thing. He says it's the exact opposite of what most people read it as. It's not that God took took the free will away from Pharaoh, but he actually gave him an extra dose of free will. He said to, to Pharaoh, okay, you see all of these terrible things happening, these plagues one after another, your country disintegrating in pieces. And at that point, any normal person, any normal person would, would immediately let the Jews go and he gave him, and, and and there would be no choice. That then that would be the, the the lack of free will because there would be no choice but to let the Jews go because you're being. He's twisting Pharaoh's arm and he's saying, "Do it, do it, do it." He gave him an extra dose of free will so that even though he's twisting his arm and even though he's seeing the country disintegrate before his eyes, he's going plague after plague. He still gave him the ability to deny what is going on in front of his own eyes. And that, I believe, and this is what I, I concluded, is what's happening today with many Jews that are around the world. Even though it becomes more and more obvious by the day that Jews should, should immediately pick up and move back to the land of Israel. This is the destiny of the Jewish people. It's the right thing to do. It's what God wants. It's, 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 the, it's the obvious because of what's happening abroad even if you want, even if you don't look at it from the positive that it, we're supposed to be moving to Israel, but the negative of all the terrible things that have happened are happening and will happen outside of the land of Israel, it's just—it's so obvious that they should get up and they should leave right away. Still, the, God is giving them an extra dose of free will to make the decision on their own, and that decision is what we've spoken about before. That opportunity that has been given to the Jews around the world to 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 do the right thing, to choose life. And that decision, we hope, will be the right decision that everyone will make. We will be right back with you right after the break. Listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 
This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany's but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel, Phantom Nation, every Monday. Okay, welcome back to Israel Unplugged. Right before the break, we were talking about the uh, returning of free will to the Jewish people and to Paro, that really the plagues took away his free will. So God had to give it back, give him, make it even again by hardening his heart. So in a very related idea, um, I once saw a very beautiful idea by Rabbi David Ebner. Who, who discusses something from also from last week's Torah portion, where Moses tells the uh, Jewish people, the, the Jewish people, I'm sorry, tells the Egyptians that at about midnight, um, there's going to be, God is going to kill all the firstborn of Egypt. And the question, of course, is why would Moshe say ka around? He should say bachatzot. You know, God is perfect. God can can kill the firstborn of Egypt exactly to the millisecond of midnight. So why say ke around? So Rashi brings this, that the answer is that perhaps Paro's wise men would make a mistake in their reckoning of the time and then say Moshe is a liar. Now, he knew that, of course, God could do it exactly at midnight, but the but maybe the um, the uh, the uh, the people in Paro's court, his wise men, would say that no, look, according to our clocks, it's twelve oh one or twelve and thirty seconds, and therefore God, you see, it wasn't like God said it didn't happen at Chatzot; it happened a little after or a little before. So Rabbi Ebner says this interpretation would seem to fly in the face of all reasonable thought. After all, Moshe had correctly predicted nine terrible and unusual events that had literally plagued the Egyptian people. He then proceeded, he then, I'm sorry, he then predicted the most terrible of all, the death of Egypt's firstborns. Imagine that he had said that this would take place exactly at midnight. And let's assume that the palace clocks were inaccurate, and according to their time, all the firstborns died at midnight plus 20 seconds. What is the response of Egypt's best and brightest? You see, Moshe is nothing but a liar. The level of self-deception and refusal to face facts is so mind-boggling that we might well wonder at the sanity of such wise men or alternatively at what the Talmudic sages were trying to tell us in this seemingly odd interpretation. Now, this really? These people are going to really deny it all because it was 20 seconds off? That's ridiculous. Perhaps, says Rabbi Ebner, perhaps the lesson to be drawn from this discussion is that the rabbis profoundly understood the true nature of man and the depths of his psyche. Number one, we don't like to face unpleasant truths. Number two, 
the power of rationalization to substitute good reason for real reasons is boundless, meaning a person will make things up as long as he doesn't have to you know, face unpleasant truths. And number three, man will grab at the thinnest of straws to deny the reality which stares him in the face. And then he sums up and brings it down to our day and age. Should we be surprised by the ancient Egyptians think tank's reaction? After all, modern Jewish history has seen its Egypts and their wise men, perhaps those PhDs who met at Wansi or commanded Eisensgruppen. It, had, it has witnessed the birth of a Jewish state in which Jews no longer have to live under non-Jewish rule in which Torah flourishes, and in which we are called to help shape our destiny. Is it possible that there are yet those wise and many who are more than wise who are still waiting because they think that this great drama of Reshitz Michal Gulatenu, the the beginning of the the, uh, redemption, is but an illusion? Do their sojourns in the Egypts of Jewish history continue because the details of the reshit of the beginning do not meet their redemption clocks? In other words, do these people, maybe they say, you know what? Uh, yeah, like we say, we were talking about it before, the, redem- the, the ingathering of the exiles. We say it every Monday and Thursday. That's a good sign. But no, to some people, this is not the ingathering of the exiles. Can't be because it was done. It was brought about by irreligious Jews. That's like saying Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, is a liar because he brought about the death of the firstborns, but it was 20 seconds late. That's the same exact thing. May it be that those who dwell in Goshen's darkness see a great light. Moshe Emet, it is we, meaning Moshe is truthful. It is we who may miss the mark. I thought that's such a beautiful, beautiful take on what's going on today. You you have people who see with their eyes. You know, this is the the idea that we've said I've said over so many times, and I hope people who are listening uh, can already quote it verbatim. Um, we say in our prayers, "May our eyes see your return to Zion with mercy." So for 2,000 years, people probably understood that to mean, and there certainly is truth to that, that we hope one day, God, to see the return of, uh, of your Shekhinah, of your divine presence uh, to, to Jerusalem. But there's another interpretation, and this was given by the Nazir of Yerushalayim, Rav Cook's one of his greatest students. Um, he says, no, the, the ingathering of the exiles is going to happen the return of God to Zion is going to happen. The question is, are we going to see it? Are we going to see it for what it is? That's why we pray the let our eyes see when you return to Zion, meaning let us recognize it for what it is and not be fooled by the externals, by things that are happening around that we that that might fool us into thinking that this is not the redemption that's happening in front of our eyes. This is all what we've been talking about. The same thing. Let us not be fooled by by 
difficulties that we might see happening in our day and understand that the redemption is happening and we have to take part in it. It's it's known as cognitive dissonance when Correct. we uh, when we have uh, we just don't want to see what's right in front of our eyes. And I remember having a group uh, from Chicago ask me about the dangers of where I live, and I told them that there were 160 shootings in one weekend in Chicago. I think that's more shootings than we've had in the entire history of the modern state of Israel. <laughs> but for some reason, they thought where I lived was dangerous. I guess it was a matter of perspective. But there's so many obvious things that are going on. Uh, not only the murders, not only the anti-Semitism, not only the the craziness with the, the, the government in the United States and around the world governments. Uh, the, the Fed, for example, has uh, printed in just the year 2021 $7 trillion, $7 trillion. I don't know if anybody can comprehend that number and what that means. They're printing $222,000 per second. Imagine a printer that can print over $2,100 bills every second. And that happens 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And people that are in the United States can attest to this, that you can see it in the stores. You can see prices going up and inflation is definitely taking root. And, um, and again, this is just the beginning because they can get much worse and a lot faster. And and, and just to, I want to take a step back because maybe not everyone has a background in Jewish theology and they may not understand that the concept of having free will is based on a mechanism in which a human being has the ability to decide for themselves, and therefore they have to have a balanced decision in front of them. If it's obvious, if one side is obvious and the other side is not, then it's not balanced anymore and the person's free will is taken away. I'll give you an example. We have laws on the Sabbath, for example, that a person is a, a Jew is not allowed to light a fire on the Sabbath. And the rabbis have explained that that, in, that incorporates also electricity. So one is not allowed to turn on a, on a, on a light on the Sabbath. So imagine if, if the, you know, your, your neighbor goes and he turns on a light, uh, a light switch on the Sabbath and all of a sudden a lightning bolt comes out of the sky and strikes him dead on the spot. So, you know, maybe that would happen once, twice, but people would get the message pretty quick and they would they would no longer have their free will because it would be so obvious that if they transgress, then they will be immediately punished for it and that, that would take away their free will. It's necessary to have a balance of both sides in order to have that doubt, to have that doubt in your mind. Maybe this is right. Maybe that's right. And I'm going to have to use my own my own free will and my own mind in order to decide which is the right path to take. I think that that is also what is happening in Israel today, and I'm sure we're not going to be able to completely discuss this during this segment, but it, it is not, it's not uh, I'm sure that everyone around the, the world, especially those that are listening to this show, are intimately familiar with uh, the ins and outs of politics here in Israel. They follow it maybe even closer than the ones that live here. We choose, many of the people that live here choose to stay away from listening to politics. But uh, those that live abroad live it every day and they, they listen to the news that's going on here. And they know there's a lot of problems, a lot of issues going on with our government currently and with their policies, their mistaken policies. And many people can ask the question, is this may, maybe this is not the right time to come to Israel. Maybe this is an evil government. Maybe this is a, a government that uh, we should not be supporting by coming to Israel at this time. And they choose the, the, that choice of free uh, in their free will, and that choice, as we will discuss, right after the break, perhaps is the biggest mistake they will make in their entire life, because that will and may 
be a, a decision that they're making that will affect them and their children and their grandchildren for generations to come. We hope that they will make the right decision, choose life, and we will be right back. Hi, I'm Rabbi David Aaron. The soul basics are the most profound, the most essential, and yet often the most neglected in our education. Join me for Soul Talk on Israel's News Talk Radio and discover the secrets to love, spiritual growth, and personal power. Welcome back to the last segment of Israel Unplugged for today. Um, we're going to continue what we were discussing right before, and Josh was hinting to uh, something that's been going on uh, the last few days, <clears throat> and that is uh, Arugot Farm, the Arugot Farm. So let me tell you, take you back a few years. Uh, Ari Abramowitz, there's two very special Jews, Ari Abramowitz and Jeremy Gimpel, who uprooted themselves and moved to uh, literally a mountaintop and built up a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but it's a uh, it's an educational center and they give tours and it is breathtaking. It's breathtaking. It's beautiful, beautiful. So he invited me to come. He bought some of my books and he invited me to come. He wanted to show me the show me around the place. So I felt like a real connection to it. And that's why yesterday when I saw the news, it was on Arucheva, it was on a few places, that the government was about to destroy a vineyard that has been worked on for five years. They've been working on for five years to plant. They have beautiful trees that are finally reaching uh, maturation and, and able to give, to give fruit and you can start, they can start making wine from it. Um, the government was planning on uprooting those trees during a Shemitah year, and it it really, really hit home, and it really upset me tremendously. It, it, more than that, it, it, it's it's an unprecedented move because the gov- no government, no previous Israeli government has ever chosen to uh, dismantle a non-contested, an uncontested, and uh, a piece of parcel of land right, in the land of Israel. Sometimes there's private land, and and there's a there's it's contested by Arabs, it's contested by the courts. This is this nobody complained that they were there in the first place, and the government unilaterally decided that they're going to come and they're going to start destroying their property. Correct, correct, for no apparent reason. Um... I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's state-owned land. There's no question that it's owned Correct. by the state of Israel. And um, so it really, really upset me uh, to to hear that the Jewish government is going to uproot land during Shemitah when you're not allowed to work the land and not even giving them an opportunity to at least move their trees somewhere else because they can't do it during the Shemitah year. Just totally destroy 
five years worth of work. So it upset me so much. Now they had they had a planned a whole um, a whole protest, uh, of course nonviolent protest. And uh, thank God, the bottom line, the end result is that uh, it's been postponed. But that doesn't mean anything because it can happen any day still. Um, but I, I personally, because I have Corona and because I'm also just uh, it's a little hard for me to get out there, uh, I, I couldn't part take in the uh, in, in the protest, but in the rally. But I at least I said I had to do something. I had to do something, and I decided to write an open letter to Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, and I'm going to read it for you here. And um, you know, I think I think the important point that we should get from it is that you know it sounds like oh we could put the blame on you know on Bennett and on other on other people and again we don't like talking politics here that's not my point here my point is that every Jew every especially religious Jew or or even any Jew who understands the importance of the land of Israel to the Jewish people um if there would be more such people here in the land of Israel, these kind of things would never happen. We would have a clear majority in the government, and and there would never be a, a possibility for the government to do such a crazy and destructive thing. So, so again, when I'm reading this letter, don't take it as as politics. That's not the point. The point is. We have to be here to do something and to fight for it, everyone in their own way. And sometimes just being here is enough of a of a battle of, of uh, you know, putting up a fight against such injustice. So I wrote as follows. There are many reasons why we religious Jews wear a kippah, a yarmulke, on our heads. One of them is to constantly remind us of who we are and how we are expected to act. If a Jew faces the temptation to do an immoral act, he has two choices. Preferably, he will put his head on his hand on his head or look in a mirror, realize that he represents God's Torah and refrains from sinning. But if he lacks the spiritual fortitude necessary to overcome his base desires, he should at the very least remove his keeper from his head and do the dirty deed in a way that does not desecrate God's name and bring shame to those who are loyal to him. And then I talked about it, how a few short weeks ago, the this holy Jew, Yehuda Dimentment, was killed near Chomesh for no other reason than being a Jew. And the government, the government, the current government, you know, I'm very positive about the land of Israel, but it doesn't mean that every every single decision that the government does is is correct. And the, the go- current government destroyed Chomesh, destroyed the, the yeshiva that this young man had been learning in. Instead of saying, oh, you're going to kill one of ours, so we're going to actually legalize this, this settlement and we're going to pour money into it so that you understand, you murderers of Israel, of, of the Jewish people, you will understand that it does not pay to murder a Jew. That's the, that's the true Zionist response to such a thing. But unfortunately, what did the government do? It destroyed, it destroyed it. And now they are, they are about to destroy this Arugot farm, which by the way, was planted in memory of Ezra Schwartz, an American boy who was in a yeshiva in Beit Shemesh, who was killed in a terrorist attack several years ago. So therefore, I wrote to, to Naftali Bennett, Mr. Bennett, I beg you, take a look in the mirror and remember that you are a keeper wearer. 
uprooting Jews or the fruits of years of Jewish labor from Eretz Yisrael goes against everything we religious Jews believe in, especially the religious Zionists among us, a group you claim to be a part of. Just think what you would have said a few years ago when you were in the opposition had a left-wing government done what you are doing now. Are the chairs in the Knesset, especially the prime minister's seat, that comfortable that you are willing to forego all of your core values just for the sake of your political survival? The kippah is supposed to remind you to live by a higher standard. And if the temptation is too great for you, if your desire for power and lust for honor prevent you from doing what that which is right in the eyes of God and his people, then please, please take off your kippah. Stop embarrassing us. Stop claiming to represent those of us who fear God and love Eretz Israel. Be honest to all those who voted for you and tell them that you have changed your ways and no longer believe in the platform upon which you ran. Admit to them and to all of Israeli society that you stole their votes. And by the way, it's time to change your party's name as well. It's such an embarrassment. This party's name is Yamina, right, right-wingers, right? They are no longer right-wingers. I truly hope that you will choose the first path. But if not, at least be a man and admit that you are not what you claim to be. And then I went through another, another uh, uh, paragraph explaining how every Every person in history who has sent forth their hands against Eretz Yisrael has given away or, or, or bartered away parts of the land of Israel to our enemies, like in the disengagement in uh, 2005, have paid a very heavy price. I'm not a Navi, I'm not a prophet, I don't have Ruach HaKodesh, and I'm not claiming that I know that something terrible is going to happen. However... However, I'm an observant Jew, and I have observed over the last 30 years since making Aliyah that all those who have sent forth their hands against Eretz Yisrael have paid a heavy price. And then I, I conclude by saying, don't forget, another word for kippah is yarmulka, which comes from the Aramaic yare malka, to fear the king. It is supposed to remind us that there is someone above who is truly in control. Please, Mr. Prime Minister, show us that you understand the deeper meaning of the kippah that sits atop your head. Sincerely, Moshe Lichtman Beit Shemesh. What do you think, Josh? I, I think that uh, this is one of many issues that are going on in the government today. Unfortunately, it's not just uh, Rugat Farms, but it's also by Shimonat Sadiq, my, my next-door neighbors in, here in Jerusalem. It's happening, like you said, in Chomesh and other places that are being dismantled. And I think that if this is just, if this is the right, right, this is the, the, the agreement was that it's going to be half of the time it's going to be under Naftali Bennett and a right wing government, and then half the time it's going to go under Gantz and the left wing government. If this no, is the I right wing government, then I'm afraid to see what's going to happen when <laughs> Gantz takes over and turns right. it into. It's not, it's not Gantz, it's uh, what's his name? Um, uh, no, the other guy. Uh, Lapid, Lapid, Lapid. Yeah, you're right, Lapid. Right. So, so either way, it's it, it's clear that uh, we're we're in for some trouble. And uh, but I have to right. we have to conclude with saying this: no one should think. You know, we do, we usually only say positive things about Eretz Israel, and we're still trying to be positive on this show. 
But no one should think that they or God forbid use this as an excuse not to come here. This is precisely why you need to come here. This is why we need good Jews here to change the vote, to change the government. We need to have a, a, a moral and ethical and religious government. And the only way that can be accomplished is by good people like yourselves coming on Aliyah and moving here and changing it. And therefore, we encourage all of you to do that today, to think of not only yourselves and your family and, and everything around you, and, and per, for personal reasons, make the decision, but for national reasons, for the, for the people of Israel, for the nation of Israel, you should come here and you should make a change. We've done it. It can be done. It's easier than ever. And we want you to be home with us in Eretz Israel. Thank you. And we look forward to seeing you again next week. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips. With scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.